0: Hello, and welcome to HGTV Obsessed, your podcast for all things HGTV. I'm your host, Mary in Canada, and today we are celebrating. HGTV Magazine is turning 10, and we have the editor-in-chief, Sarah Peterson on the podcast to give us all the behind the scenes of creating an issue, how her team forecasts trends, and her favorite moments from the past 10 years since she first launched the magazine. Then I'm chatting with professional photographer and influencer, Ali Provost, on her top tips for taking magazine-worthy photos, whether you're a pro or not. First up, here's my chat with HGTV Magazine Editor-in-Chief, Sarah Peterson. Sarah, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Yes. Well, Sarah, so you're the editor in chief of HGTV magazine, which is turning 10 this year. Congratulations.
1: Thanks. 10th birthday. Do you know we like to call it our 10th birthday, not our anniversary. It's just a little more fun.
0: That's so cute. I hope there's going to be cake. So I have to know, because whenever anyone hears editor in chief of a magazine, like they automatically are thinking devil wears Prada. What's a day in your life like?
1: Oh, it's not that. It's a very collaborative place. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I have to say after 10 years, we still have a lot of fun together. We're having all kinds of meetings, mini meetings with different teams on the stories that we are producing the magazine and we work three months in advance, three issues at a time. So we'll be working like right now, we are working on October issue, November issue and December issue. And I don't ever know what month it is in real life. I'm always thinking it's a different season. Sometimes it's more than three months. So sometimes things are, stories are photographed even a year in advance or eight months in advance to get a season Or authentic, I should say. So, we'll do holiday stories during December or January that are going to run in the magazine the following year. So, that'll really blow your mind. Sometimes we do holiday stories in August, and that's just crazy.
0: Yeah, I feel like I can really relate to you on this because for HGTV Handmade, we're always having to work ahead. We're always trying to find pumpkins in July.
1: Pumpkins are the hardest thing. You can find Christmas trees. You can find garlands. You can find wreaths. You can find tinsel.
0: But not a real pumpkin. You
1: cannot find a real pumpkin. I mean, if someone knew how to do that, a big old pumpkin. But we are just fine with those faux pumpkins. You know, they're very nice, too.
0: The faux pumpkins are great, but every once in a while, you need you need a real pumpkin. And we've just learned you cannot get a real pumpkin before Labor Day.
1: You cannot. And we do anytime we do a pumpkin story, we absolutely shoot it in October and it runs the following.
0: There you go. You heard it here first. So one thing that even a magazine editor in chief cannot find HGTV magazine. First of all, I just want to brag on you a little bit. It's the second highest selling monthly magazine on newsstands, which is Incredible. But it also feels like a lot of pressure. How do you manage the expectations? Because you're balancing readers and the publisher and then like the network. I mean, HGTV is an institution in and of itself.
1: Oh, yeah. And I love it. You know, I'm personally a fan of the network. So, you know, of course, I want to impress those people, too. I'm uh, working on an extension of their brand. I really want them to like me and like the magazine. So yeah, you know what I do when it gets a little overwhelming to think about all that stuff that you just mentioned? I like to think of the reader. And I imagine him or her at home, enjoying the magazine, flipping through the pages. What are they going to see? What are they going to like? What's going to bring them joy? What pages do you think they'll stop on? What do you think they'll think of the pictures? Then I think, okay, it's for them.
0: Another fun aspect of your job is you also get to work with a lot of the network's talent, you know, whether they're on the cover or, you know, inside the pages. I always want the inside scoop.
1: That is a perk of the job is getting to work with the talent. And I think of them as contributors to the magazine. They're great for giving tips and helpful advice and find great stuff in the magazine. We've had them participate in like anything from gift guides to like remodeling how-tos to DIY projects, everything because they do it all too. So, but they all had their own style and personality. That's what's so fun to pick up on as you get to know them. Like each one is, each person's unique and has a different style.
0: You touched on this a little bit before, but you mentioned you work on the magazine at least three months in advance, sometimes longer. So I'm really curious how you and your team forecast the design trends and the topics to feature because it is a little bit of like design fortune telling, right?
1: We're lucky. We get to travel around the country and we scout real homes to feature in the magazine. And we find those, you know, sometimes through designers, sometimes through friends, sometimes just good old fashioned networking. Like I'm talking to you and you tell me about your friend's house. And so I said, oh, let me go see pictures of it. So we're constantly in people's houses and we just counted up like how many we've done since we're working on our 10th birthday issue. We wanted to know well, how many have we done? It's like 350. We've been in so many people's houses. We're looking at what we are doing. We're sh- we also have market editors who are shopping all the time going to shows in the market and going to shops and you just look around and that's what you see.
0: I have to say, that sounds really fun.
1: It is fun. People are so creative in their own homes.
0: It's so hard too when you work in this industry because you feel like you're constantly seeing something new, seeing something exciting and wanting to change your own home.
1: It's true. Maybe that's an okay problem to have. If you're that jazzed about decorating that you want to change it all the time, that's okay. But we try to do little things, like suggest little things you can always do. As we've all been home, I'm sure you've been moving furniture around, swapping out pillows, painting everything. I I paint anything that stands still long enough.
0: Well, I am curious, what do you feel like is a big design trend that's on the horizon? And like, what do you feel like is kind of on its way out?
1: Oh, that's so hard. Because I always feel like I'm going to make somebody feel bad if I say a trend because what if you just put it in your home?
0: That's like, true. That's fine. true.
1: Like if you love it, you love it. I mean, you know what's sticking around that's so, which I love? Pink. Pink is just not going away. I'm fine with that. Pink and accessories, paint colors, blush, blush pink tones, everything.
0: Yes, that millennial pink, it is here to stay.
1: I do love a blush pink. It's the new neutral, for sure. I want to see how long these like darker colors stick around. They sort of peaked during the pandemic. I did this too. Everybody wanted to feel like cozy and comfortable and feels nice, but I'm not sure. I wonder how long that's going to stick around. Maybe we'll want to go brighter soon.
0: Well, I feel like that's never really going to go out of style. I mean, I feel like the like white walls and kind of that like California. And white coastal, Exactly. It's never going to go away.
1: There's a lot of wood that's beautiful. And I've seen more wood in kitchens, especially like blonde mm-hmm. woods or lighter woods. But
0: White cabinets. Never going to go out of style. Well, HGTV Magazine, and I, I love it because I can see them all lined up behind you. And at the network, we, we get them in our inbox every month. So we all have like our stacks of colorful HGTV Magazine covers. So I'm curious if you know what the best selling cover has ever been. And also, is that one your favorite or do you have a favorite?
1: Well, you know what my favorite is? It's always the last one we did. Oh, I love this one. And the next one like, oh I love this one. Yeah. You know, so that's a good feeling. But I, the summer issues have double issues in the summer. So we have July, August issue. And those I think are the most some of the most colorful and think in bright pinks and bright yellows and the best selling.
0: People love a colorful front door.
1: Don't you just want to know the person who has a colorful front door, like if someone has a lime green door or a purple front door, like I just want to know this person because I think I want to be friends with them.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's got to there's got to be something good behind that door.
1: That's what it says. It's got to be something interesting, fun, colorful, unique about this person.
0: Yeah, I know on HGTV.com, we actually have a quiz about like your front door color personality. (gasps) Oh, I'm going to take that. We'll dig that up. We'll drop it in the show notes at HGTV.com.
1: We just did a poll. I don't want to give it away, but can you guess? Like, We just did a poll on what your favorite front door color was.
0: Ooh, I'm going to guess red.
1: That's what I guessed. It's in the blue family. Everybody loves blue.
0: We had turquoise blue front doors at our previous house, but at this house, we went with black. It was just kind of like classic. We have like kind of a farmhouse meets Texas rancher style home, and it's got this green metal roof on it. And I was like, this is all the color that I can deal with. <laughs> so the house is white. The doors are black. That sounds so pretty. Yeah. Did you like
1: shiny, like a shiny black? Like a high we glassy.
0: did, we did, we did a gloss black, mostly so we could like keep it wiped down because you know kids, dogs, dust.
1: <laughs> oh, dust. Yeah, does a number. Yeah, there's um, a lot of people paint their whole houses black. You know, I wonder, that's that's still a thing.
0: Yeah, our old house was painted. It was like a wrought iron color, just like that almost black. So Sarah, one of my favorite columns in HGTV magazine is, (laughs) how bad is it?
1: (laughs) Mine too.
0: I love it. So fun. And it always, there's always something that you read that you're like, oh no, I do that. Like, it never fails. We thought it'd be fun to do a podcast version of the column featuring some of the most popular questions from the last 10 years of HGTV magazine. So are you ready?
1: What if I say a different answer than what the magazine said? Then we'll be in trouble.
0: (laughs) it will be like, whoops.
1: This is Sarah Peterson, how bad is it version?
0: All right. So our first one, Sarah, how bad is it to pour paint down the sink or rinse your brushes in your sink?
1: rinsing is pretty, is pretty bad. It depends on what kind of system you have in your home. Are you hooked up to a septic or are you you know on the town lines? That makes a difference. If you're a septic, you don't want to you don't even want to rinse your brushes in
0: the sink. And that's fine. I forgot. That's from April 2016 because we these are real questions from the magazine. So you guys can go look them up. All right. So from June 2012, how bad is it to throw away LED light bulbs or batteries?
1: We should recycle your batteries. There's places to do that. They'll take that.
0: I think similarly, LED light bulbs, there are places that collect them, like usually your city dump. March 2018, how bad is it to skip priming before painting?
1: If your wall is unfinished, you definitely have to prime it. But let's say you want to paint your studio walls. They're dark. You don't have to prime it. But if you do, you'll probably won't have to do as many coats. Let's say you just wanted to paint it a beautiful pale blue. That might take you three coats over that navy. But if you primed one coat, or if you have a paint with primer in it, even better... I'm sure you could do it in two coats, for sure.
0: That's what I always tell people. You're not going to actually save time in the long run. All right, from January 2015, and oh, man, this is a doozy. I have a lot of thoughts about this. How bad is it to paint over wallpaper? That's
1: really bad. It's really bad? Really bad. People want to do it. and I totally can understand because it's so hard to take wallpaper down, especially old wallpaper. I'm assuming that's why someone would want to paint over it because they don't want to take it down. The effort is going to be worth it in the long run. There's water in paint that's going to seep into the wallpaper that you just painted over. And then you're going to have bubbles and troubles anyway.
0: All right. Well, Sarah, we couldn't let you go without having you take part in our favorite segment, Defend the Trend. This is where you give us a hot take on a current design trend. And we're just going to keep talking about paint because the trend is monochromatic design. These days, people are painting walls, ceilings and moldings all the same color, all very monochromatic. So
1: love it. Oh, there you go. I do like to switch up the finishes. Like I would do flat on the ceiling and probably eggshell on the wall and like semi gloss on the trim.
0: Fantastic. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Congratulations on 10 years of HGTV magazine. Thank you. Everyone listening, you can pick up your 10th birthday edition of the magazine on newsstands now don't forget to follow HGTV magazine and Sarah will have to have you back for the next birthday how about that
1: now that you've inspired me to think about the birthday cake I'm going to get right on that
0: we need a cake that looks like a giant magazine I need you to make this right
1: and maybe some painted treatment like I'm thinking it should be ombre or something colorful like that Yes,
0: obviously save me a piece <laughs> I will alright thanks so much Sarah You all are going to want to pick this issue up. It's a really special one. Next up, we have Allie Provost, professional photographer and influencer, to share her advice when it comes to capturing picture-perfect photos this fall. Allie, welcome to HGTV Obsessed. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we are so excited to have you here because we're really diving into what makes an amazing fall photo. You know, we've got Labor Day weekend on the horizon. And Allie, as a professional photographer and an influencer with truly one of the best feeds I have ever seen, I want to chat with you about the secrets to getting those like magazine perfect photos this fall. What would you say as a as a pro are the key elements to make a great photo?
2: I think the first main thing about a a great photo is finding the perfect location. During the fall season, there is no shortage of just color, everywhere. And the great thing is is that you could go to a location one week and then the next week you go and it's a completely different color. So you could really go to the same walk through Central Park and see completely different scenes every single day. And you know, during the fall you really want to utilize those colors. Throughout your photos, throughout even your outfit, really coordinating your outfit, your sweater, your boots. Of course, we can't forget a fabulous scarf and a coat and really accenting those colors to complete the full, beautiful fall picture.
0: Yes, I think we're all glad that those days of the studio portraits are behind us. And now the world can be your backdrop. And I love that you brought up color because one of the things I love about your work is the way the color just pops in your photos. Can you give a few like beginner friendly tips to try to get that same effect? Because its I know it's more than just picking the right filter.
2: Of course. Absolutely. When it comes to just as you're taking the photo, if you didn't want to go to a location that was really colorful, try to incorporate some color into your outfit. You know, And a way to add color without being too much is to add it to one piece of your outfit. It can be something small as like a scarf or a pair of shoes, or it can be a dress, something a little bit more of a statement. Once you start to feel a little bit more comfortable with how much color you're wearing and maybe you want to take a little bit of risks, you can go to a location that has a little bit more color whether it is in nature or if you find like the perfect yellow vintage car casually on the side of uh, the street, you can really start to coordinate your outfit, think of contrasting colors or complementary colors. So one color that I absolutely love with yellow is blue. I think that is just such a fun color and it really brings the eye to both what you're wearing and your environment, which is always really fun.
0: I know that a lot of people are gearing up to take maybe their holiday card photos this fall. It's a lot of pressure to like find the person who's really going to understand your vision and execute it for you. What's your advice for finding the right photographer?
2: With there being so many photographers out there, it's really up to the subject or the family to be able to pick and choose. And of course, you can search hashtags. But another great way is to ask your friends and family who they have worked with, who they've loved to have worked with. My favorite kind of referral is word of mouth referral. Those to me mean the most. And that meant somebody trusted me enough to recommend to somebody that they also respect. After you've done that, you can definitely look at their work. Look at both their portfolio and if they have an Instagram, of course, their Instagram. Um, If their styles match up with your expectations, definitely reach out to them, shoot them an email. And then from there, you'll be able to get a really good sense of how that photographer works, if you like their vibe, and if you want to move forward with booking. Never be afraid to ask questions if you're unsure of how something is going to work or how logistics are going to be once you're actually in the photo shoot. Never be afraid to ask your photographer. You know, for me, I am more than happy to ask questions, especially for people who aren't used to having professional photos done of them all the time. And it can be really daunting and intimidating, you know, especially once you add in kids involved, it can be (laughs) a lot of craziness on a location. So you want to make sure that both the photographer is on board with how many things are going to be going on at the same time and that you, of course, like their vibe and their work. It's never a bad thing if you reach out to them and you say, you know what, I don't think this is quite right for me. I will never take offense to that, and I also will have recommendations. Say, hey, why don't you reach out to you know Susie Q, and she can be more than happy to chat with you if if she's more along the lines of what you're what you're looking for. So make sure you're always comfortable going into a session, and that's going to ensure that the best result is going to happen.
0: For sure. Well, and something I do, I love so much about your work is your amazing fashion sense and your incredible clothes. It's a whole different ball game when you're trying to coordinate an entire family's outfits for a photo shoot. Do you have any tips for coordinating that aren't too matchy matchy? Because, like, no, no shade to anyone out there who has taken photos in like jeans and a white button-down, but you know, we're looking to just like take things up to the next level.
2: Yes, of course, you can never go wrong with just jeans and a white t-shirt or a white button-down, especially in a in a black and white. It's going to look. Absolutely timeless. However, of course, we want to feel updated and current. So, for my families that I photograph, I always recommend that they stay at least within a similar color family. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody has to wear blue and then only can everybody can wear blue, but it could be a light blue, a dark blue, and then also could be more of a purple tone. It doesn't have to be the exact shade of blue. We don't need a committee to sign off on making sure that everyone has the same shade of blue. And then don't be afraid to play with patterns and prints. With families, I recommend that no one has an outrageously large print or an outrageously bold print that would take away from other family members. But keeping the scale of the print to be medium to small, and that can be stripes, it can be florals, anything that you feel comfortable in is absolutely going to work the best. I don't want anybody showing up to set in something that they've never worn before. And they feel really uncomfortable because if you're uncomfortable in your outfit, it's going to show through in the photos as well. And, you know, in terms of actual pieces to pick, of course, we love a dress but don't be afraid to be casual with jeans and a, a, a nice sweater. I think those are also really beautiful. And, you know, especially if you want to be sitting on the floor or in the ground and kind of moving around a little bit more, you want to make sure that you're comfortable and are able to move as well.
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, those of us who maybe don't have an expensive camera or don't have the budget to hire a photographer and you're limited to, you know, what your your phone can do. I'd love to talk about some tips for taking high-quality photos with your phone, but also I would like to chat about printing and organizing phone photos because this is, I feel like, a very modern burden that we all bear.
2: Oh, absolutely. Well, especially because nowadays we just take our phone out and snap a thousand pictures, And then you look back at the past year and you think, how did I end up with 10,000 photos that I'm never going to refer back to or have no way of organizing? So it can be a very daunting thing to have to try to navigate through. So I definitely sometimes need to take a little bit of my own advice. Best practices for going through your photos and organizing is to go through them on a weekly or a monthly basis, depending on how often you take photos and how many photos you take. And it doesn't have to mean that you clear out all of your photos. It could mean just take out the bloopers, the ones that you're never going to actually reach for, and then go ahead and back them up on your computer or the cloud. When it comes to photos on a camera, I have a much stricter process. I name everything by the date, the client, the location, and then the file number that it is. So it is very... It is a very specific process and it cannot be messed up. Otherwise, I will not be able to sleep at night. (laughs) That way I can go back and look and see, you know, two years from now, I can think, okay, well, this was that shoot on that date. And I don't really have to filter through file names that don't really mean anything to me.
0: Yes, that makes sense.
2: Yeah. And so then when you're, of course, taking photos on an iPhone, don't worry that you're just taking photos on an iPhone, because to be quite honest, iPhone photos are amazing, No one should ever feel bad about only having an iPhone to take photos with because truly the quality of the camera has increased so much throughout the past, even just five years that the iPhone photo is going to be just fine, especially when you're just printing something for a holiday card or just want to have something commemorative on your bookshelf. It's going to be absolutely fine. So when you're taking photos with an iPhone, you want to make sure the best way to have the best quality is to find good light. So you want to have light in front of you, but you don't want to be in direct sun. A lot of mistakes that photographers make or somebody who's taking a photo will say, oh, well, we want to be in the sun. We want to be in a sunny part of the street so that we get, all get light on us. And that's actually not always what you want because what direct sunlight can do is create really harsh shadows in places where you may not want really harsh shadows. Like underneath the eyes, underneath the chin. And so you want to put your subject in a place that has even lighting. So in even shade, underneath a tree, in the shade of a building, however you want to be posed, that's going to give you the best result on an iPhone.
0: Well, Allie, this episode, uh, we're celebrating the 10th birthday of HGTV Magazine. So we thought it would be fun to do a little version of the favorite column, How Bad Is It?, that is photography focused. So you ready to uh, to answer some questions for us? Let's do it. How bad is it to not clean your phone camera before taking a photo?
2: Terrible. It's like not cleaning off your glasses before you're trying to read something. Absolutely clean your phone camera off. If you're just wearing a t-shirt, just give it a quick clean off and you'll be great.
0: All right. How bad is it to add a filter to or crop a professional photographer's photo?
2: For this, it definitely depends on the photographer. I do not mind so much personally because I do photograph for a lot of influencers and bloggers who have very specific aesthetics and feeds where... I want them to post the photos and if I prohibited them from doing that, they would never post the photos and then it would be a waste for both them and myself. So I personally do not mind if they add a little filter, but I do know some of my photographer friends who will absolutely not work with you if you even touch their photo a centimeter. So really double check with your photographer because... You don't want to upset your photographer because you want to make sure you work with him again.
0: All right. How bad is it to Photoshop in a family member who couldn't make it to the photo shoot?
2: Uh, not too bad. You want to make sure that the photo that you're taking from is going to be of equal quality. I don't recommend you doing this yourself. I would probably recruit a, a retoucher to oversee that process, because you want to make sure that the lighting matches up. If you want to make sure everything looks cohesive, that is definitely something I would recommend not uh, DIY.
0: Yes, let's not end up on one of those Photoshop fail lists, you know. No, yeah. All right. And last up, how bad is it to not credit or tag your photographer when you post your pictures on social media?
2: It's a big no, no. It makes me very sad. You know, you want to make sure that you give the photographer the appropriate credit. And I'm also proud of it, too. And I want to make sure that it gets seen. And it makes me a little sad when people don't.
0: Allie, this was so delightful to talk to you. And I really recommend that everyone check out Allie's social media, which we'll leave in the show notes and her home tour on HGTV Handmade because she is as colorful and delightful as she sounds.
2: Oh, thank you so much. This was so much fun.
0: I will never take another iPhone photo without cleaning the camera. We hope you enjoyed this special episode with our guests, Sarah Peterson and Allie Provost. You can follow Sarah's work at HGTV Magazine and Allie at Allie Provost. I want to give a huge thank you to both of them for sharing their expertise with us. You can learn more about our guests by checking out our show notes at hgtv.com slash podcast. And as usual, if you love today's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review HGTV Obsessed. We'd love for you to leave us five stars. It really helps so much. Don't forget to follow HGTV Obsessed wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode and we'll see you next Thursday.